Welcome to Something Like It Pop, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist Edition. I am Matt Tamanini, and as always, I'm joined by the brains of our operation, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, uh, it's nice to talk to you, especially because the last few days have been rough. It has been rough. I heard on your um, daily Broadway podcast you opened it in the best way possible, which was just, <laughs> and if I may quote, well, shit. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, since we're talking about Zoe, I should have had like a title card flash over my mouth and uh, prevent the last part of that from coming out. But it was a uh, it was a rough couple days. You know, I've said it, as you've heard on today on Broadway, that daily theater show that uh, you just mentioned, which I'm sure that everybody who is listening to this also listens to. But there's so many people to be concerned about right now and so many things just that are heartbreaking about this whole situation. Um, obviously, us talking about episodes five and six of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist uh, will not save the world, but hopefully it gives other people um, a, a little bit of time to escape all the world's dramas. And if not, Jen, at least it's going to do that for us for another hour or two here as we talk. Yeah, that's a good assessment. All right. So as everybody knows, we are on Broadway Radio's Patreon feed. But Jen, I feel like because we're probably going to be struggling for content over the next few weeks, I might drop this in the actual Broadway Radio feed sometime this week. This is obviously coming out at 10.01 p.m. on Sunday, March 15th, the Ides of March. Uh, but maybe some other folks are hearing this later on in the feed. If you want to make sure that you hear every episode of our Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist recap show, make sure that you get into our Patreon family at patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash Patreon. If you want to get in touch with us, you can always reach out to Jen on Twitter at EponineQ. That's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can follow me at Matt and Broadway Radio at Broadway Radio. So, Jen, we are in about the middle. There's going to be 12 episodes of the first season of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and by the time we're done talking today, we will be halfway there. So, as we hit that halfway mark, um, and obviously, this is before we discuss 5 and 6, but we've watched it, where are you feeling about how the show is progressing based off some things that we've talked about liking and disliking from the first four episodes? Well, um... I think we're going to address some of those things in this recap because sure, they are a big picture, addressed big picture. head on. But I also came to a conclusion at the end of episode six that I'm pretty sure you won't agree with. Um, and conclusion's a rough word. I would say um, an epiphany for me personally. So I will discuss that with you when we get there. But overall, I would say that I am entertained and at the end of the day, that is all I'm asking for. Yeah, I, I feel like the premise of this show in the first half of the pilot almost did a disservice to what the rest of the show is, um, because I feel like you and I were both expecting a show that was much different than what we actually got. And we addressed this in the in the first episode when you kind of expected you said a 22 minute you know, musical comedy. That's not what this is. And I feel like there are different forces in this show working against each other and they have not really found the way to meld those together. And I think that shows itself multiple times in these two episodes, but I think there's something really good there that, you know, almost, uh, you know, an Aladdin reference, a little bit of a diamond in the rough and they've got to polish it a little bit, but I think they're setting some things up very well. I don't know that they're doing the setup very well, but I think what they're setting up is actually pretty good. So let's get into it, Jen. We're going to talk about first episode five, Zoe's Extraordinary Failure. This episode opens the entire family, Mitch, Maggie, David, uh, David's wife, Emily, and Zoe are all at their parents' house. 
They're going through some old boxes. David and Emily are going to take some things home for their coming child. I did think it was interesting. Jen, Mitch is playing solitaire on the computer now. So that was a very subtle thing. They didn't talk about it, but it's a nice way for them to show that he is progressing a little bit. Um, and the medication and the treatments are working to the point where he can, you know, not just bang on the, the buzzer and move clumsily around to try to spell some things, but he's actually able to play a computer, you know, card game. So I think that was a really interesting thing there. But they're going through old boxes and Emily pulls out a Cabbage Patch doll and a stuffed animal and assumes it was Zoe's. David steps up and says that it was his and Emily hits us with the first, you know, silly pun of the episode. Wow, Zoe. I didn't realize you were such a fan of Cabbage Patch Kids. Actually, that was mine. Oh. And this... Mine as well. Oh, babe. No wonder you became such a bleeding heart public defender. You really care, Bear. But then Maggie, uh, Mary Steenburgen's mom character, goes into the kitchen to take a call from Jessica Simon's uh, fiance because she's working on uh, doing the floral arrangements for their engagement party. While they're in there talking, Maggie tells Zoe that she feels weird talking about work stuff in front of Mitch. And we're going to get more into that here a little bit later. Uh, but as they're talking, you know, they get into a little bit about Zoe's thing with Simon. And she tells her mom that she thinks that she would be proud of her because she hasn't texted Simon back in a couple of days. Um, and they're kind of distancing and she's trying not to cross any lines. You know, but Jen, these this scene right here sets up a lot for not only this episode, but next episode. We are obviously doing these two episodes at a time for our own logistical purposes. But it really felt like episode five and episode six were a really good pair Together, they really wove a lot of things together over these two episodes, and it felt, you know, because I watched them back to back, like a, you know, like an hour uh, and a half movie uh, where everything kind of played off of each other. It did, and the cliffhanger, only to be answered a second into the second episode, plays right into what you're saying. So it it did. It I I I want to be positive and think that they're doing this just for us because. Yes, I'm sure. The only reason that they film yeah. our purposes, it works because well, while we're talking about, you know, two episodes in a row, um, it's really easy. If, uh, it's kind of an easy segue. So it makes our job easier. And I honestly think that that's NBC's goal. Yes, they filmed and wrote these episodes months, if not a year ago, specifically to make our podcasting about them, which we didn't know about until a couple months ago easier. I appreciate them being so proactive and thoughtful uh, about that, Jen. Um, But back at uh, Mitch and Maggie's house, um, David and Emily are talking. They were originally going to put their crib together for their son, but David said he's got a lot going on with work. He's working on the O'Reilly case and he can't build the crib that night. That leads immediately into Emily bursting out with her first heart song. She sings Pink's Just Give Me a Reason. Um, and complete with some nice contemporary dancing moves. You've been talking in your sleep. Uh oh, things you never say to me. Uh oh, tell me that you've had enough of our love. Our love. Just give me a reason, just a little bit's enough. Just a second, we're not broken, just bent, and we can learn to love again. And then, in a move that I did not expect, 
David joins in as well, and he is a much better singer than I thought he was going to be. Um, I had some unexpected goosebumps in this one. Uh, Jen, were you expecting David to also be a singer? Um, I wasn't expecting him to be that good of a singer, but I was expecting him to sing in that song because it's a duet. So right. as soon as she started singing, I said, oh, this is the first time that we've seen them sing, which is nice because in this two episodes, they're not the last people we'll see the first performance of, if that makes any sense. Yes, absolutely. Just give me a reason, just a little bit's enough. Just a second, we're not broken, just bent. And we can learn to love again, I've never stopped. You're still written in the scars on my heart. We're not broken, just bent. And we can learn to love again. The other thing is, is now I'm, I'm really noticing Mandy Moore. When I asked you who the choreographer was mm-hmm. and you said Mandy Moore, I said, oh, of course, I'm so you think you can dance. Now I can really see it because I know her style and she's very interpretive and very modern. And now I just notice it really a lot more. Yeah. Uh, you and I are, I, I think you're as big of a uh, so you think you can dance fan as as I am. I uh, love that show. It's one of my favorite things every year. And she has become, after Mia Michaels stopped choreographing on the show uh mandy's kind of taken over the uh contemporary modern interpretive dance uh mantle from her as being kind of the go-to person but uh, i do love that but zoe of course hears this song and hears this performance and sees this dance and that is where our bullshit intro comes in you sure everything's okay yeah Yeah. bull after they come back from that initial commercial break she's still at her parents house zoe calls mo and she tells him uh that this was her first duet this is the first time that she's had anybody do a heart song as a duet she then goes on to say a duet they were singing together and mo has to reassure her that uh he does in fact know what a duet is which i thought was very funny guess what I just heard my first actual duet, two people singing the same song at the same time. I am very aware of what a duet is. But again, you know, the secondary characters get the best lines. And not always Mo, because Emily had one earlier in the episode that was great. But Mo always gets the best one. And Alex really, really nails him. He, He has another one here a minute ago. It's early in the morning. It's before Zoe's going to work. And she calls him and he says, Why do I even have to phone this early? I am an artist, Zoe. And my brain does not like functioning until night o'clock. Then they make plans to go get drinks later that night. And Mo says he doesn't really care where they go as long as it's somewhere that's basic and hetero. I'm in the mood for potato skins. Okay, bye. These are just like silly, stupid lines. Uh, And I really this is one of the things that I enjoy most about this show, Jen, is these throwaway lines that seem to just be kind of snarky and sarcastic and funny. Um, And I don't think there's writing like that in a lot of other network shows. Yeah, and I am starting to wonder if the peripheral characters are more likable than Absolutely the main ones. Absolutely, they are. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, okay. <laughs> but um, after that, like I said, this is before Zoe goes into work. She's back at work, and it's time to work on a new project. They've already launched the smartwatch, so Joan, Lauren Graham's character, says they need to think about something, you know, their next big project. But before they do that, 
Zoe as the manager and Joan as the boss are going to be sharing the anonymous peer reviews that everybody did with each individual employee. Zoe did not know this was happening. She thought they were for internal use only. Um, But before we get to that, Jen, we see um, our friend Leaf. He's got that buzzed slit in his eyebrow. Like, what? What is that? Is that I don't. Is that necessary? Is that a cool thing that cool kids do or something? Uh, no, I'm ninety percent sure that's a scar. Oh, okay. Are really? Are you sure? Uh, no, that's okay. why I didn't say a hundred. <laughs> yeah, because I know uh, Isaac Powell, who is playing Tony in Eva Van Hova Van Hove's West Side Story on Broadway, he has that as well, and that's not natural because he didn't have it when he was in. Uh, once on this island. So I don't know. Is it, someone tell us. Is that a cool kid thing? Because we are way too old. Because we are not cool nor no. kids. And we have no, no idea. Even when we were kids, we were not cool. No, no. Also, can we just say anonymous peer reviews? Oh, what um, a terrible idea. Sounds mortifying. Yes. I was thinking about that in my office. And it would be a bloodbath. Like on the level of Mean Girls. Um, what is the, the slam book? The burn book. Burn oh book, my yeah. God. I can burn book i cannot even imagine yeah, that would be very 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 bad but and in fact it is um as they go through some of the uh, other coders um they say that tobin overuses the eggplant emoji they completely slam max about being indecisive lazy not really putting in much effort that was really bad um and then leaf comes in he expects that everyone loves him because he thinks that he's the best. But the review says... Leaf is self-righteous and overly ambitious. His aw shucks demeanor masks a relentless drive to win at all costs, which is more alienating than endearing. It's probably why he didn't get the promotion. Leaf is visibly crushed. He, he plays it off and you know tries to make it like uh, he appreciates it and is going to take that into account. Uh, but he is clearly upset. It was a little surprising there. Zoe wants to know what her peer reviews were, but Lauren Graham says that it doesn't matter because all that really matters is what she thinks of her and Zoe is crushing it besides misogyny. So which, again, as you've talked about before, Jen, the toxic masculinity in Silicon Valley, very much at play in this show, too. Yes, I believe the exact line was misogyny, misogyny, mis- misogyny. I think you're crushing it. Isn't that all that matters? <laughs> Thank you for uh, being uh, the well, stenographer there. Got it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, from there, after work, Zoe goes uh, out to the very hetero and basic sports bar and meets up with Mo. Uh, she explains what she saw between David and Emily, and uh, they they invited Max, and uh, he invited Autumn, and before Autumn. <laughs> comes in she's apparently she saw a rainbow in an oil slick and she's going to absorb its energy or something so before she comes in max is explaining that on their trip to napa they really weren't on the same wavelength and actually zoe and mo tag team for a perfect description of autumn i thought you dug her whole adorable flower child meets a young person trying with vibe on social media after this episode aired stephanie styles who plays autumn <laughs> said something about that being like the perfect compliment that she could have gotten it was not an insult as far as she was concerned but um max mentions that when they were in napa autumn didn't want to stick to a schedule she just wanted to literally run through the fields like she chased what she said she chased a butterfly literally for 37 minutes um first off that sounds 
horrific. But Autumn is certainly not the bad guy in this episode, or at least if anyone who thinks she is, is absolutely wrong. But we will get to that. Then all of a sudden, Zoe hears uh, Fight for Your Right to Party by the Beastie Boys. It. It's Cart's song, so she follows it. Wait, excuse me. And it turns out that it's her brother and a bunch of bros singing complete with pool cue choreography. You wake up late for school, man, you don't want to go. You ask your mom, please, but she still says no. You miss two classes and no homework. Your teacher preaches class like it's some kind of jerk. You gotta fight for your right to party. Jen, what did you think of of this song in this performance here? This got a big groan from me um, because, as much as I realize that the Beastie Boys are white angry boys shouting i still don't want to hear white angry boys shouting unless you're the beastie boys um <laughs> it's my second cringe at kind of a hip-hop try yeah. like, from all we do is just, win yeah we just can we just stop please like everybody has really good voices let's let's hone in on that i'm, I'm this is something for me that i understand that it's really hard to shoehorn plot around songs and that's one of the problems with with jukebox musicals. And I wrote a piece about jukebox musicals on Broadway World and my issues with how we define them. Um, I'll, if you haven't read that, please do. But it just felt like this was not the right song in any way, shape, or form for what we eventually learned was actually going on. They weren't really partying. They were playing pool at a sports bar. That's a, not a party like the Beastie Boys are talking about and this happens again in the next episode which I'll, I'll talk about where i understand that they're not necessarily going for everything being literal that there are some mood songs as well but when you have lyrics like you got to fight for your right to party and then as it turns out spoilers that david is actually sneaking away to try to have some time where he's not super stressed about everything literally what the words that he is singing and the explanation for why he's singing could not be more dichotomous. And that is starting to bug me a little bit, Jen. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. They're not he's not a boy trying to get out of going to school. He's lying to his wife and, and playing pool with his buddies. So I feel like there's a better option out there. I mean, Certainly. it's not really my job to find that, <laughs> but it almost felt a little lazy. Yeah, I think there's a lot of song twists. And I understand that song clearance is difficult. So maybe this wasn't their first, you know, their first choice, but it just felt like some of these things just don't work for me um, the way that they should. But Zoe then confronts David about it. And he, because she heard him say that he was working late earlier in the day. Um, and he tells her that these are colleagues and, and that some of their best legal breakthroughs happen when they're shooting pool, which obvious lie, but whatever. The next day at work, Zoe goes to Simon's office and asks what would happen if he lied to Jessica about working late. He says that it would cost him a limb and he'd be sleeping on the couch for a week. That is not necessarily a uh, Chekhov's woman scorned, but it's kind of close, Jen. Um, again, these two episodes working in tandem um, much better 
than than I kind of expected to. Um, but as she's leaving, Zoe asks Simon if he's okay, and Simon asks how she can always read him because no one else can do that. And Zoe says, "Usually it takes a whole song and dance for me to understand what someone's feeling, but with you, I guess I just know how to read you." Simon admits that it's his dad's birthday coming up, and it's first one since his suicide, so it's really weighing on him. So we have more of him, of them kind of bonding over that. But after she leaves, she is in kind of like the bullpen area for the coders, and all of a sudden she hears everybody hurts start to be singing, and you look around, you don't really see anybody. It turns out Leaf is singing it while sitting in one of those weird, closable isolation pod egg chairs in the spike uh, spark point office and she kind of knocks on it and, and opens it up This is going to be coming a theme throughout the episode with Everybody Hurts. But Leaf tells Zoe that he's not used to getting negative feedback and that he and his family put a lot of pressure on him. He's got younger brothers who are super successful. Um, and he says that Zoe really wouldn't understand the pressure, which is a little misogynistic. But Zoe also tells him that she didn't write that negative feedback to him and that she thinks that he is an excellent programmer. And all of a sudden, Jen, and this isn't going to last, but all of a sudden, I was kind of shipping Leaf and Zoe. I wasn't shipping them, but I started to like him more and wasn't expecting the results, which we'll get into. But it definitely took a turn I wasn't expecting because in this moment, I do actually feel for him. And he's acting a little sure. spoiled and a little bratty, yeah. but I get it. And he's he's such a beautiful voice. And so I want to hear him sing more. But I was actually kind of excited at the turn it took. Oh, when, you were. Let's, you get, were. let's oh, circle back to that. I was not. I was, I was not. Well, it yeah. depends on which turn because there's a couple turns, but... Uh, but we will get there. Uh, but back at the house, uh, Jessica and Maggie are meeting um, about the uh, engagement party. And there's a magazine with Mitch and Maggie on the front. And this is where we learn a little bit more about their life and their work together. Apparently, they owned a business together. They worked together. Maggie did the floral side of things. Mitch did the business side of things. And they loved it. She said it was never difficult to work together. They just laughed all the time. Um, and it was a really great partnership and relationship again this ties super well into episode six um zoe shows up and it turns out that david is running late he was supposed to be his night to sit with dad and then eventually he cancels and then zoe kind of raises an eyebrow to that because she kind of has an idea where he is but before she goes to confront him uh, maggie tells her that an old client has just bought this new big estate and wants maggie to do the garden but Maggie doesn't know if she can bring herself to do that without Mitch. She feels a little, she, it feels a little weird and wrong to be doing, you know, work that she's done with her husband for decades on her own. But then we do find Zoe tracking down David. Where? Not working on the O'Reilly case, 
but at O'Reilly's Tavern instead. If you're going to lie, man, at least do better than that. Like, that's so, so bad, Jen. Um, but he said he tells his sister that he's overwhelmed with work and the baby and thinking about Mitch. And Joey says and Zoe says that she understands, but she thinks that there's something else. And David goes in to talk about he's worried about not being able to be a dad to a boy because he wasn't very manly as a kid. He didn't kiss a girl until college. And he had framed theater playbills on the wall, which, Jen, should I take that personally, considering I have a framed theater playbill on my wall right now? I don't know if you should take it personally as much as you should relate to David a little bit more because <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. And I applaud you both. Thank you. But then it, David says, don't tell Emily about the playbill because she hates musical theater. And then I've never felt so hurt by a character in my I life. I literally Jen. said, um, oh, I just realized how much I hate Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Which is bad because Alice Lee is a great musical theater actress, but hmm, strike for Emily. Um, but Jen... This whole storyline, especially this scene, it felt so forced and fake to me. Like, all of the other family stuff has been so good. This just felt unnatural and made up. And it, I just, I understand that in episodic TV, like, things come out of nowhere just for the purposes of one episode. And then, then you deal with it. But this didn't feel real. Um, I don't know if it felt real or fake to me. Um, I actually, for once, was kind of on her side to to step in a little bit. But, you know, of course, she takes it too far because she's Zoe. But um, I'm still trying to figure out her relationship with her brother, because in one episode, they seem really close. In the next episode, they they seem like complete strangers. So in that aspect, it did feel a little forced because they need to decide what their relationship is because we don't I, I don't get it. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. It's just like it doesn't seem natural for the character that we've met in the first four episodes. But anyway, from there, Zoe's back at work the next day and she gives Simon a grief kit that contains a pillow to either scream or cry into, a hammer to break stuff, Oreos to eat his feelings, and tequila because tequila. Of course, Jen, I with the tequila, I instead of saying just because tequila... I was thinking the song, which you probably don't know because it's a country song, Tequila Makes Her Clothes Come Off, which maybe they could have picked a better alcohol, but that's the first thing that came to my mind, uh, especially in a, in a show about you know songs. So either way, after she gives that to him, she goes out. She walks by Leaf, who is drawing crying clowns in his journal, and Max is kind of like sitting there depressed at his desk, and Zoe says that it's like an epidemic around here, and... <laughs> Man, does that hit differently now than it probably did when it was written and filmed. Yeah, uh, things sure have changed since. <laughs> I think there's oh. a lot of tequila being sold right now. Yeah, oh yeah. Different purposes. Well, maybe not. Maybe for both the because tequila and clothes come off reasons. But, uh, but Max is upset because Autumn wants him to meet her parents next weekend. And he's nervous that it's a very next step move. And through some neurotic concoction of thoughts... He thinks that it could lead to him moving to Minneapolis so that Autumn's parents can be closer to the grandkids. So he tells him that he might be overthinking things a little bit, and she just wants him to be happy and not to settle. That will lead into what we find out later. Um, after that, Zoe gets a call from Emily, and they have what they say is like their first sister-in-law hang because they're not super close. Um, Emily is not a patient one and jumps right in, and she says she knows that something's wrong with David. Zoe says that she doesn't want to get involved in other people's marital issues, which Emily immediately takes as confirmation 
that there is an issue, that is something wrong. But then, Jen, not more than 10 seconds later, literally, after saying that she didn't want to get involved, Zoe spills all of the tea to Emily, including that David is going out with the guys after work. And again, I have to wonder, Jen, is Zoe the hero or the villain of this show? I That was the moment for me, too, because it could have been as easy as he's not having an affair. Go talk to him. But it it took her no time to reveal everything, and it, which was way worse than just not saying anything. And what's so bad about this, Jen, is that this one is the worst one for me, because in the other cases, it was all about hearing these heart songs and trying to, A, interpret them, and B, act upon what she heard. That is obviously at play here. But then she's also working on actual information that her brother told her. And she's not only betraying the trust of this supernatural power, but she's betraying the trust of her brother. And that, as much as the... The other stuff that we've talked about crossing the line of kind of dealing with how she deals with these songs, this is even worse when your brother confide in you for something. And he actually literally said, don't tell anyone about this conversation. And she did it anyway, like at the first possible moment. And I understand that she's weak and awkward and everything, but it's just it's getting to be the only character trait that she has is that she sucks. Okay. I don't know if I can phrase it any better than that. And and honestly, in five years of us doing podcasts together, Jen, I think that's the only time that I've ever made you laugh. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just surrendering to the world at this point. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, coronavirus, for giving me that laugh. But um, after their, their, their girl hang, Zoe goes back to the office. <laughs> Leaf is again singing Everybody Hurts. And Jen, he's sitting on a ledge on the second floor in the Sparkpoint office. And then they show this shot of Zoe looking up at him. And all you see is like his shoes from underneath. And man, did it look like a shot you would see when someone is like committed suicide or is hung. And it really, I was not comfortable with that shot at all. I agree. It was a little triggering. It was, it was a little much, especially because she was coming out of Simon's office. Who, where his father had killed himself. Exactly. Not in that location, but, you know. Right. And Leaf is talking about being, I mean, singing about being hurt and depressed. It just, man, I just can't imagine how that got through the edit. Yeah, that it was a bizarre choice for sure. Yeah. But Zoe wants to tell Leaf who wrote the review, but she doesn't know who it was because it was not her. She wants Leaf and that person to work it out. But if she goes into Joan's office... Joan admits that she wrote it. Um, and while he is a great programmer, it's not like he doesn't need to hear those things. And she goes on to say that she didn't really ever think anonymous reviews were a, good, were a good idea, but she did them because she didn't want to clip Zoe's wings. She said that the anonymous reviews are too passive aggressive and she prefers aggressive aggressive. Um, but now that Zoe's the manager, she has to fix it. But Jen, we've seen this a couple times in this episode where Joan is letting Zoe do things because either like out of some like friendship or female camaraderie or mentor mentee thing. And it's leading to bad situations. And I feel like we are getting set up for a situation where she lets Zoe do something because she wants to support her. And it ends up having a really, really majorly negative impact on somebody or something. Yeah, I think it's a little destructive. It's coming from a good place, um, but yeah. Joan is a little bit nasty, and I think 
she's blurring the lines between supervisor and supervisee and um, showing a little favoritism, which I don't have a problem with because everybody has favoritism and it's usually men who are, are the favorites. But if they're going to establish each other as um, allies and a team, you're right. I feel like their their path is, is leading to destruction. And I, and I like what you said about it. It coming from a, a good place. It's it's well-intentioned. And I feel like that's true of a lot of Zoe's issues, too. They're always well-intentioned, but they always lead to destruction. So, but this is, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I feel like they're setting something up, but we will see. David comes over to Zoe's apartment. I'm very angry that night. And uh, he's upset, of course, that Zoe told Emily everything right away. And what he explains to Zoe is, is that he had to talk Emily into having kids. She never wanted to have kids. And he was so confident about wanting kids. That that was one of the reasons that she agreed to have a child. And now that she thinks that David is having second thoughts, that he's not all in, she is freaking out. And Emily is not a character that has been set up to be prone to freakouts. Um, so this is obviously disconcerting. And Zoe said, you know, apologized. She said, I didn't know. David, I had no idea. Of course not. You have no idea because you're not a part of my marriage. You don't know everything that's going on in our heads. Preach, David. Yes. Thank you so much. But this is just another example of Zoe doing 100% the wrong thing when trying to help. But it finally had consequences. Yes, that's true. And that's true. what we were, we were talking about in the beginning of where we were in the show. And I think I even told you last episode, I just want at some point for her to see the ramifications of her actions without thinking. And they finally did it. And now it's led to this rift between her and her brother. So I really applauded that. And he, he said harsh words to her, but she needed to hear them. Yeah. And there's been ramifications in previous episodes, like especially the one where um, she interferes with Mo's church thing. But those ramifications are always wrapped up by the end of the episode. These are not. And I, I, I definitely agree that that was good. There was a little scene up next between Zoe and Mo. It wasn't hugely important other than the fact that Zoe explains that her parents were always super supportive and positive with her. And that led to her becoming a perfectionist. And Mo tells her that she needs to change her relationship with failure and to grow to learn from each failure. And I thought that was um, that's obviously this is Zoe's extraordinary failure failure. So that's obviously one of the themes of this episode. Autumn and Max are next on the next scene out for a run in the morning and Max has to stop because he's more of a weight, uh, a lifting weights guy, not a cardio guy. Uh, and while they're kind of just talking, he all of a sudden just tells her that he wants to break up. Autumn is clearly hurt um, as Max is kind of giving this BS story, you know, speech about journeys and everyone's on their journey. And theirs was a fun short one, but it, it's not one that's going to last. And she's visibly upset, but she tells him that she can't be mad at him for doing what's best for his head and his heart. Um, it was a really small moment, Jen, but I thought it was really extraordinarily acted by Stephanie Styles. I think so, too. I think she's underrated. And I um, I think that this whole episode, they were kind of trying to portray her as like dingy and kind of like, oh, God, I could never be around someone like that. But she's there's not a vicious bone in her body. You know, she's just a really kind, sweet soul and she's unapologetic for it. So Max has issues with her. Then those are his, his issues, which we'll address in the next episode. But she gave a really good performance there and um, we get rewarded even more. 
So we go, we're back at work and Zoe tells Leaf that she got Joan to give her all of her peer reviews and she wants them to read them together. Leaf is a little suspect at first, but Zoe reads the first one and it is obviously Leaf's. Zoe, stammers too much, lacks confidence, wears too many sweaters over collared shirts. Not sure how that one is quite performance related. Can't delegate, tries too hard. I deserved the promotion, not her. I wrote that one. I'm shocked. Zoe says that this, it, it hurts her, and even more than she anticipated reading these. But as they talk, she tells him that rather than seeing it as an attack, what somebody wrote about him, that he should probably just take the note that he's been willfully disrespectful to her, his all-I-do-is-win mentality, which, of course, made me roll my eyes, um isn't good it's not uh what's best for the team he's not a team player and because of that leaf assumes that zoe wrote it and kind of thanks her but then it feels like really kind of like thank you for giving me the ammunition to you know destroy you and you know get my world domination um she can't talk him out of thinking that it was her and she kind of just accepts it um which i thought was the exact opposite of where I was hoping this would go. I, I'm not a big conflict person. I don't think you have to have this manufactured kind of conflict to keep a show going. But is this the turn that you really liked, Jen? I did, yeah. Because we saw this side of him in the first episode in his subconscious. And all of a sudden, he just showed her his true colors. And I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting him to take it. And grow up a little bit and kind of move on. But all of a sudden she has an, uh, like an actual villain. And it just was unexpected. I thought that he was really going to turn into like this sympathetic character that, yeah, maybe they could end up in a relationship. But now it's an actual rivalry. And I just I like being surprised. I thought it was enjoyable. Yeah, it was it was definitely a surprise. That's not where I thought that was going to go. And we see it more in the next episode where we can see the seeds being laid for a very big rivalry, which is a great storyline because I'm glad that he's going to be a part of the show even more, even though he's still billed as a guest star. But anyway, we'll get to that later. We are back at the parents' house and Maggie says that she just doesn't think that she can keep working without Mitch by her side. So she's going to shut down the business. She's telling Zoe this. They're out in the greenhouse. And then we see Mitch through the greenhouse window, get up and sing and dance to the Isley brothers. It's your thing. Again, lyrics are not exactly on point, but I guess this one felt a little bit better than the last one. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. I can't tell you. But in the middle of the dance, here's the thing, Jen. Peter Gallagher directly hands something to, Je- to Zoe. Then later they dance together. They look at each other. They touch all of that. This isn't the first time that we've seen that because they danced during True Colors. My first instinct was that this was one another another one of those logic problems, since Mitch is apparently the only one who has ever really acknowledged her during a heart song. But then I realized that this kind of plays into a theory that I've been developing and kind of hemming around here on the show before. Jen, do you, do you want to hear what my theory is? 
Oh my god, more than anything. Oh, stop it. Now you're just being patronizing. Um, But here's my theory. I think that Mitch used to have this power as well. I think that we might learn down the road that this is a hereditary thing. And Mitch had this ability, which is why he was always about moments and always about embracing life and why he was always so beloved and everyone loves him and all this stuff, but that it eventually led to the situation that he's currently in. Um, I mentioned it before that I was like, well, maybe, you know, the, the MRI machine really wasn't it, that it has more to do, you know, a connection to Mitch. This is what I'm thinking that maybe because of all this stuff, the ability for Mitch and Zoe to interact during the heart songs, maybe it has to do with the fact that he actually has been able to do this in the past. Maybe I'm reaching and maybe I'm, you know, the guy who wanted answers on Lost. Um, and so I'm making connections when they're not there. But it would at least explain why his heart songs are so much different than everybody else's. Matthew Tamanini, I think that is a fantastic theory. Yes! First time. I really do. Nice. I got a laugh and that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's truly the, the world end of is day. Yeah, the world is <laughs> ending. <laughs> here's my qualm with it. And here's my qualm with it. all of fan theories. Is now that you have that in your head, if it doesn't go that way, is it going to ruin the show for you? Um, I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I just, whenever I have theories like this, I always assume they're wrong. Because most times they are. But so I don't think it will. Like my grandfather always used to say, expect the worst, hope for the best. So I'm going to expect it to be wrong. And if it does end up being right, I'll be happy about it. You know, so um, from that song, though, Zoe tells Maggie that she thinks that Mitch would want her to keep going and to do what she wants to do, not just do something out of loyalty to Mitch. From there, we get a scene where Zoe calls David to apologize, but he tells her he needs some time and distance. He says he doesn't really want to talk to her right now. He needs to kind of think things out. And he says that he'll reach out to her when he's ready, which is, again, those consequences that you talked about. Also, it gets him off of an episode because there's only so many episodes that you can be on before you have to have a pay increase. But that's neither here nor there, I suppose. But hallelujah, right? Yeah, like, very well For once done. at the end of an episode, it's like, no, you did the wrong thing and I do not forgive you. And I really, really was happy to hear that. Yeah. And he's turning into one of my favorite characters because maybe it's because of the older brother thing, but he's just, he feels like one of the most real characters on the show, which is in a, in a show that where people burst out into song and dance is hard to come by. Um, but I'm really kind of liking the performance uh, from David. But back at the house, Maggie tells Mitch that she wants to take the job and he slams on his yes taboo button right away to tell her that he is supportive of that. Back at Zoe's apartment, Max FaceTimes her and tells her that he broke up with Autumn. And in the middle of it, Simon texts and says, I'm outside your door. So she has to quickly turn off the FaceTime, take her face mask that Mo gave her off uh, and go answer the door. And Simon says that he's really going, you know, having some issues right now. He was going through some old emails that he'd had with his dad and things were normal. I was just talking about regular stuff. And then all of a sudden at a specific point now... He can see a complete turn in his dad's personality that he didn't notice when it was originally there. And he's afraid that he could have stopped his dad from taking his own life, that perhaps he might have, key word here, failed him when he needed him the most. I'm, I'm getting a little tired of all of these, like, 
perfectly lined up and syncopated themes, you know, through the episodes. At the end, we see how the A plot and the B plot all work together. It's it's a little too treacly and tidy for me, Jen. But at least I guess Zoe's failure and, and now Simon's potential failure, they were fairly significantly different. But it just it feels a little too full house wrap things up for me. But she does tell him that there's nothing that he could have done because his dad wasn't open to his help. And she said that everybody fails. And sometimes that's all you can do is to just kind of go forward with it and deal with it and do the best you can. And that seems to help him because as he's getting ready to leave, we hear the last song of the episode. And it's Should I Stay or Should I Go Now by The Clash. Darling, you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine I'll be here till the end of time So you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go? And the answer is go. The answer is go. That's it. It is. That is always the answer. But as he's dancing around the apartment, he keeps singing, should I stay or should I go now? And just as the song is getting ready to end, Zoe steps in between him and the door. And I guess that answers the question, Jen. Or does it? Because this is the end of the episode. Yeah, that was just as soon as I heard the first eight notes of that guitar lick, I was like, yeah. oh, my God, just go. Yeah. Just go. <laughs> Let me answer a question for you. Go. Yeah. And um, we'll get into what happens uh, in that next one. But um, before we get into that episode, the the next episode, Jen, what did you think of? Because I know you're kind of like clocking the musical numbers. What did you think of the the songs in episode five, Zoe's Extraordinary Failure? Well, there was definitely more full songs instead of the little snippets. Um, but honestly, Leafs was my favorite because I'm in love yeah. with his voice. He's great. Um, but I also really liked the um, Just Give Me a Reason because it, I, I always like hearing from new people. Yeah, um, I thought it was great. And I think Alice Lee is has got a fantastic voice. Um and uh, I was surprised by David as well. And apparently he originated the role of Gavroche on the national tour of Les Miserables. He later appeared in the Broadway production of Falsettos as an alternate for Jason. Um, wow. Good for him. So he actually is. I guess I should have realized he's a musical theater person. So uh, there you go. I like that we're constantly amazed by that. <laughs> I, that these people are actual singers. Yeah. yeah. Well, because it's interesting. They've had some people who are really good singers and some people who weren't. So I think that's it's always kind of a, a crapshoot as to whether they're going to be actual singers or just actors who can sing a little bit. And we'll get to another surprising voice in this next episode. Yes, we will. Um, all right. So we are immediately taken into episode six, Zoe's Extraordinary Night Out. And for the first time, we see the action picking up immediately where it left off in the previous episode. Zoe has her back to her door in between the door and Simon. And surprisingly, she tells him that he should go since his engagement party is the next day. Um, and he says, yeah, you're right. That that's you're very right. I, I should go um, after he leaves. Zoe is visibly I, you know, 
in heat afterwards. Like she was even during the song in the last episode, she was clearly vibing on what he was singing and not dancing with him, but she was clearly in the seductive bedroom eyes kind of thing. And it continued after he left. Uh, so a good job on telling him to go B. I felt like there must have been some stuff cut from this scene. And we'll get to that here in a little bit, Jen. The next day, Mo confronts Zoe as she's getting ready to head down to work because Mo saw Simon go in to her apartment late last night. Uh, but Zoe does confirm that he left 10 minutes later. and But she does tell him that he sang to her and told him the song. And then all of a sudden, Jessica texts her and Mo tells her not to respond. Jessica being Simon's fiance, they don't know why. So just says, don't reply, put your phone away, don't do it. Um, so then Zoe, before going to work, meets up with Max at the Golden Gate Grind. Remember what that place is. And he's as they as he is explaining how the breakup went, they walk into the coffee shop and immediately, Jen, my head is screaming, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, it was a really nice clueless boy moment. Like, no, everything went great. We're really cool. Like, everything's fine. And everyone watching was like, oh, buddy, you're not fine. No. And especially because, like, I mean, I guess maybe Zoe didn't know. Maybe she didn't recognize that they broke up during the FaceTime. But, like, I know Zoe's clueless, too. But, like, she's still a woman and should be able to tell her best friend that this is a really, really bad idea. And... It is a very, very bad idea, uh, because despite the fact that Max said that it might be the best breakup in history, as soon as Autumn sees Max, she starts singing You Give Love a Bad Name by Bon Jovi. Shot through the heart and you're to blame, darling, you give love a bad name. It's mixed in with them, like, doing a weird order thing. Morning, Autumn. Uh, I'm going to have... You always get the usual. I do, I do, but this time I'm thinking maybe I switch things up a little bit. Like, I've always considered myself a purist when it comes to Java consumption, but there are so many libations on this menu, and it's like, is this the day when I try my first chai tea, or ooh, an iced latte, maybe? And then she starts singing again and eventually throws coffee in his face. An angel's smile is what you sell. You promise me heaven, then put me through hell. Dreams of love, gotta hold on me When passion's a prison, you can't break free Oh, you're a loaded gun Yeah Oh, there's nowhere to run No one can save me, the damage is done Just through the heart and go to blame But not for real, like she throws coffee in his face during the song but then it cuts to like zoe talking to him and he doesn't have coffee on his face then it goes back to the song and his shirt is wet so that was i mean i at least appreciated the continuity there jen yeah we'll give them points for that but i did have a note like i still don't understand the fantasy versus reality universes neither do they i don't think (laughs) um but um so then it, it Cools down and Max is none the wiser that Autumn is mad at him until he looks at his coffee and his says Max, like his his name for the order, Max, a mum, a-hole. Um, and obviously that's his first clue that Autumn is mad and he asks, is something wrong? And she tells him off. 
she tells him, yeah, you broke my heart, you jerk. And she never wants to see him uh, in the store again. And honestly, Jen, good for her. Yeah. So that was the moment I was referring to when um, I just I I just want Autumn to not be dismissed as this one dimensional character who is just, you know, loves double rainbows and butterflies. So I'm glad that she gave him his what for. And I, I honestly hope this isn't like the last we see of her because I really enjoy her presence. I think it's the last thing we see of her. Um, I think at least according to IMDb, which has Stephanie Styles listed as being in six episodes. So maybe that's wrong. And I would love it because I think Stephanie Styles is is great. I loved her since the national tour, tour of Newsies and saw her in Kiss Me Kate on Broadway, other than the fact that she went to Michigan. But whatever. Um, I think she's great. Um, but. I don't know. Hopefully we'll see her again because I think they've kind of molded her into a a really a, a really nice character. But anyway, they are back at work afterwards and Jessica now is calling Zoe who doesn't answer. She freaks out. Um but she does then call her mom who is actually at Jessica's house setting up for the engagement party. Um and that was a little awkward. She, Maggie doesn't know why Jessica is calling her other than Jessica asked for her phone number. Then we learn afterwards that Leaf and Tobin are also going to the engagement party because they showed Simon how to beat Galaga on the uh, video game console in the break room or whatever. And now they're all best buds. Honestly, Jen, if someone showed me how to beat Galaga, like I would not only invite them to my engagement party, I would name my firstborn children child. I'll, I, hell, I'd name all my children after them. I feel like for the last minute you've been speaking in Mandarin. You don't know what Galaga is? No, I have no idea. Wh- what? It's the old video game where, like, you're the little spaceship, you're shooting these aliens, and then at one point one sends a tractor beam and you let yourself get caught up, and then when it's flying around with your next life, you shoot it, and then you get another one that comes down, and you got two shooters, and that's how you really beat the game, you get the most points? No? Nothing? This is a podcast, so you can't see me right now, but I am the human version of the shrug emoji. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay. Someone out there knows Galaga. So anyway, there, if there's uh, one thing I just could not care less about in this world, it's video games. Yeah, I'm not a video much of a video game person, but Galaga is a classic. So Galaga and Centipede, man, those are my jams. Anyway, after this, Joan comes out and tells the programmer that she needs to hear the next big idea. It doesn't understand why people can't have a life changing idea at the drop of a hat. Joan then pulls Zoe into her office and tells her that she wants to go out later that night and celebrate signing her divorce papers. Um, Zoe says she's decided not to go to Simon's uh, engagement party, so she's free so she can do it. There's a nice funny little bit about Joan sending a car and Zoe not really understanding the importance of that. Um, so they, but then they have plans for that night. Zoe tells Simon that Jessica is calling and texting and it's making her a little uncomfortable. I'm, I guess about last night. And they just have this like understanding thing, which I want to talk about a little bit later, but it's like, I just don't understand why it was so understood that things were now awkward. Uh, But Simon seems to understand and says, he'll ask Jessica what's going on. But before he can, as Zoe's walking out of Simon's office, Jessica walks in, immediately runs in to Zoe, and that is, and then Jessica tells Zoe that she needs to talk to her alone, and then there's our holy shit title card for the episode. Good job with the continuity there. I appreciate it, but when we come back from commercial, it turns out that Jessica just needs Zoe's help with a surprise for the engagement party. 
After they are talking about that a little bit, we come out on Max, who is back at the, uh, what was it, Golden Gate Grind, and he's rehearsing a speech that he wants to make to Autumn, uh, trying to smooth things over, when Mo walks out of the coffee shop. Um, Jen, it was nice to see Mo interacting with somebody other than Zoe, because... A, another theory I had at one point was whether Mo was actually real or not, um, or maybe he has some connection to this gift. I, I don't think that anymore, but I was really glad to see that his banter can work with any character on the show because he had a couple really good lines with Max as well. Let me get this straight. You're coming back to make sure that she's okay with the fact that you're still dumping her? Yeah, I guess so. Straight people. I just... She called me a self-important nerd who dresses like a third grader. Oh, honey, you're not self-important. If you ask me, you need to goodbye that girl and get on with your life. And that starts with a little more swagger. Like more swagger or, or more swagger? Exactly. Yeah, and I'm all for this Mo and Max um, bud me relationship. Too. Me too. Because they play really well off of each other. So I, I hope that continues. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. I... And maybe again, the biases here, the musical theater people are all really good and all really good together on this show. So take that for what it's worth. But I agree. Uh, and I also wanted to say that I'm glad that they're not making Jessica into a bad person mm, because I don't yes. like when they they try and villainize the person that the that like the girlfriend of the guy who's thinking about cheating on her because she's not doing anything wrong. Yes. They may have some issues. They may have like understanding each other and communicating, but she's not a bad person. So I don't like, I I do like that. They're not making her a bad person because it still kind of focuses on the fact that Simon and Zoe are incorrect and what they're thinking. Yeah. It's almost like you're reading my notes from the next section, but we'll get to that. Um, Mo tells Max that he can't go in there and talk to her. Um, it would be really, really dumb of him to do that. He needs to move on. And then Mo decides to give Max a makeover. It was a very Galinda Elfie moment um, that was very cute that will lead to some more interesting things later. But back and in- kudos to Max for saying or to Mo for saying what Zoe should have said. Like that just puts him more in tune to the world than Zoe is. Yeah, there is no doubt that Zoe is the absolute worst person to have this ability <laughs> or, or just to be a friend because she's bad at that, too. Um, but back in the conference room at Spark Point, Jessica is showing Zoe a slideshow that she put together for the party with pictures from her relationship with Simon and their individual childhoods. And Jessica wants Zoe's advice on what to do about the pictures with Simon and his dad. She wants to honor his father, but isn't sure if this is the best way to do it. And she knows that Zoe has really helped Simon through this and says, Simon always says, you give great advice. Zoe says, I mean, she actually does give fairly good advice here. She says that navigating grief is hard, but that she thinks that she should include them, that it's part of their story. Um, Jessica is appreciative and says that she's normally really jealous around other women, like crazy jealous. We'll get to that. But she's not with Zoe because she's just so insightful and understanding but this is what i was talking about i really like jessica she's a bit messy and admits that she's jealous and can be crazy and she's got a little bit of a tahani then like a real world vibe of tahani from the good place maybe it's the accent maybe it's the fact that they are both i guess east asian of some sort but uh, but it she's got a little bit of that but like in a in a real way and she seems to be genuinely warm and kind and, and i really like her and i wrote this note not knowing that it was going to be sooner rather than later. But I said, quote, it's going to suck when Zoe inevitably breaks them up. 
And it does, but we'll get there. Um, so Maggie is going to go to the party as well, but she's a little concerned about leaving Mitch at home, but it's okay because their friend Paul has come into town and he is going to be kind of hanging out with Mitch uh, for the night while Maggie's at the party. They're talking about old times and when uh, Maggie leaves, Paul tells her to stay out as late as you want to enjoy herself. He's got bedtime handled. Jen, I got the all the wrong vibes from Paul. I was really feeling like something shady was going to go on. There wasn't a second that he came on screen where I was like, something's going to happen. Yeah, I, I got it wrong. What was going to happen? I thought he was shady and something bad was going to happen. Do you know that actor? Because we don't because we're watching this before it airs. We don't have credits at the end and it's not on IMDb, but he looks so familiar, but I couldn't place him. I don't know that actor. And my fear was that he was going to hit on Maggie. Yes, exactly. That was one of the things going through my mind, too. And then after she left, I was like, well, maybe he's going to try to get some money out of Mitch or he's going to take something or something. Um, None of that happened, which I'm glad about. But something does actually happen with Paul. But Maggie is headed off to the party. Zoe is getting ready for her night out with Joan. And she goes over to Moe's to tell him that she is not, in fact, in trouble with Jessica yet. Uh, But then it turns out that Max is actually there at Moe's apartment getting his makeover for the engagement party and Skylar Aston walks out without a shirt on and Zoe mm-hmm. <laughs> Zoe is a babbling mess uh talking about his nipples for some reason I mean it was awkward it was funny it was super awkward Skylar does get in the good line uh my eyes are up here which I thought that was pretty funny but soups soups awkward Jen. oh hey Zoe I didn't hear you come in and I'm Staring at your nipples. I don't think I've ever seen you with your shirt off before, are you? Secret buff? I've been dabbling in the muscular arts a little bit, yeah, sure. That was the best performance she's given in this entire series. Because (laughs) I literally, my only note is hashtag shirtless Skylar. There you go. Moving on. (laughs) Because that's all I got. I can't add anything more to that. Um, But so, they go to the party. Uh... Zoe goes out with Joan. They're going to the bar. Zoe asks what type of night she's anticipating. And Joan says basically just just a couple after work drinks, just going to hang out, have a nice little night celebrating her divorce. And then as soon as they hand their coats and bags to the coat check, Lauren Graham busts in to TikTok by Kesha. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Grab my glasses, I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city before I leave. Brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking pedicures on our toes, toes. Trying on all our clothes, clothes. Boys blowing up our phones, phones. Drop coffin, playing our favorite CDs. Rolling up to the parties. It's an interesting number. It involves Lauren Graham dancing on a bar, which honestly, Jen, I think without knowing it, I've been wanting to see for like literally 20 years. To see Lauren Graham dancing on a bar? Yeah, just because that's fun. Okay, well, then you can't comment on my shirtless Skylar. It was not a sexual thing. It was just a Lauren Graham dancing on a bar is a fun visual. It's fun. Oh, yeah. Mine was purely sexual. (laughs) I openly talk about my love of a certain swing in the cast of Moulin Rouge musical on Broadway. So I'm I'm not immune to that as well. But after a lot of drinks, Joan says that 
she's not fun anymore. Before she got married, she was the fun one. Zoe reassures her that she is very fun and that the people at work would be shocked to see her this sloppy dance on the bar fun, which leads to Joan to decide that they are going to go to Simon's party and show everyone from work how fun she can be. Zoe protests, but Joan says that they are going they're going to the party and that's final. Then she tells the bartender, can I get the bill? Tick tock. And I think that this is the first time that the person who sang the heart song has actually referenced it in real conversation. And Jen, it was so much smoother than when Zoe does it. Absolutely. I did get a chuckle because I was trying to think of the name of that song. And I said, is it called the don't stop? And I was going to look it up afterwards. And when she said it, I kind of chuckled as I wrote it down. Oh yeah. That's what it's called. I had to look it up because I wasn't sure what it was. It was just the, the, the P wake up like P Diddy song, but um, anyway, they go into the party, uh, the very fancy party. Joan is clearly drunk. She sees the bro coders. <laughs> and I love this part. Calls them. Hi, Toblerone. What's up? We stroganoff. Boop, boop. Did you just give us a nickname? Yeah, because I'm fun. Let's uh, get our asses to the bar. Toblerone and Leaf Stroganoff, which, in my opinion, Jen, is some of the most brilliant writing in the history of television. Yeah, I, I'd like to be in the the writing room for those brainstorm yes. sessions. Like, you know, we were just talking about The Good Place when exactly Me- what I was thinking. And yeah. Megan Amram would go on the naming the restaurants. That's um, exactly what I thought of when you said that. I, exactly. But I would love to see all the ones that didn't make the cut or how many takes she did trying out different things. Yeah, it's so, so funny and so good. And the, the delivery is fantastic. Um there, from there, we see Maggie outside at the party, um, checking in on Mitch and Paul, but everything's to be going super well. But I can't help but be suspicious of Paul at this point. I'm glad I was wrong, but we both knew something was coming, which it does here in a few minutes, which we will get to. Then Zoe runs into both Jessica and Simon. He loved the slideshow, so that's good. Then after Jessica leaves, Simon and Zoe have this conversation about like, well, I hope we can stay friends, Jen. And that was very weird to me. Like, it feels like obviously the sexual tension was there. We know that from the last episode in the beginning of this one. But I don't remember them, like, acknowledging it or, like, I wasn't sure what was heart song and what was real. So I feel like there might have been something cut from that interaction at the beginning of this episode. But I wasn't sure what the conversation about them staying friends was all about because it didn't seem like anything super crossing the line had actually happened, at least not outside of their head. No, that's fair. I I mean, I, I hadn't really thought about there being something cut, but that's a good question because they've never verbally acknowledged their attraction. It was just kind of, we had a moment. Yeah. And a moment is like, you kind of like dismiss it or you act like it didn't happen like that. It, it doesn't seem like it would just be assumed that they might not be able to maintain their friendship. It was very strange. Uh, but then Zoe sees the slideshow playing on the wall. She sees this, you know, all of the cute pictures of Simon and Jessica, and she gets emotional. She runs outside. Maggie sees her, sees that her daughter's crying. And Zoe admits that she's not okay. She has real feelings for Simon. Um, she said, nothing has happened. I tried to to stop it, but I couldn't. Mommy Steenburgen tells her that she's sorry. And you just have to learn that in life. Sometimes things don't go as planned, and they're both really having to learn that lesson uh, right now. 
And after a nice mommy-daughter moment, they decide to go take a picture in front of this gorgeous flower wall, this rose wall that looked very similar to what the Tonys had a couple years ago. Um, they're going to go take a picture and send it to, the, to Dad, to Mitch. Uh, but as they walk away, the camera pans up, and we see Jessica in what I suppose is like a bathroom window above them, and she obviously heard everything. And that's when I was like, doo-doo-doo. Did you literally make that sound? I mean, not literally, but in my head, I was like, oh, shit. Just a quick side note. I actually have insider information as I've been at events with Rose Walls, and they cost close to $10,000. Great googly moogly. Although, to be honest with you, based off the house that they have and how fancy Jessica is, eh, that tracks. It's just, I mean, it makes... uh... I'm not going to say anything more, but it makes my teeth hurt thinking yes. about the money, disposable income. Anyway. Yeah. Well, good for Maggie for pulling in that paycheck. Um, but from there, we come back from commercial and Paul and Mitch are playing poker. It's actually really sweet. Like Paul is looking at Mitch's hands and saying, I would I would bet 100. And Mitch is like, hits the buzzer. Yeah, let's do that. And then they, they start talking and Paul admits that he's done some really stupid things in his life, you know, fast cars, you know, fast food, fast women, um, he, a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. And he tells Mitch, like, he always assumed that he would be the first of them, like, meaning their friends, to go. And he wasn't ready for this. He wasn't expecting this. And then they're just sitting at the kitchen table and he grabs Mitch's hand. And Jen, damn it, this show did it to me again. I did not expect that moment to make me tear up and cry. Because of the Peter Gallagher tears. <laughs> yes, but it wasn't even that. It was it was the hands. Uh, it was just that connection. I've all, I've said for years uh, on on some like a pop and elsewhere. Like I'm a sentimental crier, and man, there was a ton of sentimentality in that grasping of hands. So in that moment, um, again, I was I was really worried that something was going to happen with Paul. And for some reason, I thought at first he was going to threaten him or he was going to admit they had an affair with Maggie or something sinister. And after he said all that, I was I felt almost bad, like, oh, he's actually really <laughs> dealing with this yeah. with his best friend. But also I felt bad for Peter Gallagher because in some ways he has to comfort the people around him, even though he's the sick one, which often happens with people who are sick. Yeah. And lastly, my last thought was oh, God, Paul's going to die and Mitch can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Like I was the Paul character freaked me the hell out. Yeah, there was just something about his vibe as soon as he came in, like in almost every other show or movie, he would be like the fun loving guy who is a little crass, maybe tells some inappropriate jokes. And but people like him because he's funny. And then like at the end of act one, it turns out that he's like also like a rapist or a, you know, a, a con man or a thief or something in this, that is very much not the case. Yeah. I, I feel bad for just jumping to those conclusions because <laughs> of, I, I guess we've just been trained for that yeah, or like yeah. the fun loving uncle that everyone adores. And then all of a sudden the episodes about his funeral, I just yeah, was really yeah. worried. I thought maybe he was going to admit that he had cancer or something and then Mitch wouldn't be able to tell anybody. But that didn't happen. But let's move on because eventually we do find out what does happen. But we're back at the party and just as Zoe is going to try to leave, Simon asks everybody to join them in the backyard. As he starts his speech, he wants everyone to give it up for the party planner, the love of his life, Jessica, 
Hamilton. Now, Jen, did her last name immediately make you jump on the Team Jess bandwagon? I, well, I mean, I was already on it, right. but I did squeal because now it's just a guttural reaction. <laughs> yeah, the Hamilton uh, connection is obviously there. But keep in mind, right before he starts the speech, he says her name multiple times. And then the, the speech is just super cheesy and cliche. And for a guy who's the head of marketing for this really big company, he should be a better writer than that. But we don't hear much of the speech because Jessica bursts into song singing Say My Name by Destiny's Child. Literally, it. I get it. It's thematically, I understand it's about someone who you think is cheating on you. But he literally says her name multiple times right before the song begins, which I'm like, Okay, in all the world of music, you couldn't find something that fit a little bit better than that. Jessica is a force of nature. Say my name, say my name, if no one is around you. Say, baby, I love you if you ain't running game. Say my name, say my name, you're acting kind of shady and calling me baby. Why the sudden change? Say my name, say my name, if no one is around you. Say, baby, I love you if you ain't running game. Say my name. But anyway, it starts very emotional like it's a very kind of stripped down emotional performance it's personal she's kind of like circling simon who's still giving the speech as she's singing the first verse then it gets into like the more traditional version she's got her what they called earlier her i do crew turns into her backup dancers it gets kind of funky lots of dancing and then after like the second verse they move across the party and start dancing right up in zoe's face making it very clear with this very aggressive movement that jessica knows that something is going on with zoe and zoe is freaking the shit out after the commercial break zoe tells mo about the song and that she's going to have to deal with it right away they cut away from that. But Jen, this is another one of those songs, which was it was a longer song. You know, they kind of are going back and forth with some shows or some episodes are clips or fragments of song. This was like a whole three or so verses. And what a performance. Who is this girl? Um, I looked her up. I did not see any real musical theater credits um, to her resume, but she was... I guess, um, a regular on or recurring character on One Tree Hill. There was a lot of music on that show, so maybe she was a singer on that. But she was really, really good. She performed the hell out of that song. Like you were saying, not only her voice, but the emotions and, yeah, you know, everything that she probably thinking about saying to Zoe, like, oh, I I'm always jealous of women. I'm not jealous of you. And the conversation she heard and thinking back on it all of the times that Simon was at work late and everything that all came out. I thought it was a great performance, but she's a British actress and singer songwriter. Apparently. Okay, here we go. Um, at age 15, she had a song that charted in the UK for three weeks at number 44. It was a Christmas single called boom, boom. It's basil brush, which apparently was a BAFTA nominated show as well. So good for her. But yeah, done a lot of like she was on One Tree Hill. She did um, How I Met Your Mother. She did a couple episodes on Chicago PD. 
She did two episodes of Veep. Um, she was a recurring role on Younger with Sutton Foster. Oh, she was one of the stars of Kevin Probably Saves the World, which is a show that I always meant to watch and never did. And then she's a recurring character on One Day at a Time, which I need to catch up on after I just watched the first season. So anyway, there you go. Good for her. Back inside the party, Leaf and a very drunk Joan are talking. And I, as soon as I saw it, I wrote down this note and I was like, Jen, I really don't like where this is going. It didn't go where I thought it was going to go, but I thought it was going to get into like some sort of drunken makeout session. I'm glad it did not go there. Okay. I agree with you because as soon as they started talking and now that we know that Leaf is a little shady, I was like, oh my God, is this leading to a drunken hookup? And I still don't feel like it's not going to at some point. Yeah, no, no, it certainly could, but it did not happen in this episode. Instead, as they're talking, they're talking about the fact that Joan can never really remember anyone's names, especially in uh, social situations. And then Leaf says, oh, we should we should make a device that does that. And they start talking it out. They decide, you know, he says I could be a piece of wearable tech. And she's like, it could scan people's faces with like a pinhole camera um, through social media. And then it can, he's like, it can tell you their names in an earpiece. Um, And they're like having this brainstorm session for what their next big product is going to be. Which seemed extremely invasive. Am I wrong? Oh yeah. That's horrible. Um, but, But, it, and it also seems like a terrible idea that no one would actually use and would not actually work in real life because it's not going to be like, oh, hi. And then all of a sudden you're going to like hit a button. It's going to scan it. and It's going to be able to tell you in the time that it's be like, Carol, like, I just don't know how that would work. But anyway, this is a TV show suspension of disbelief, I assume. Uh, then we go outside and Max drags Mo over to a cute boy that Mo has kind of been flirt staring back and forth with all night. His name is Eddie and is very into Mo. So that's interesting. I, I, maybe we're going to see a little love interest for Mo moving forward. But then we swing over to another side of the outdoor part of the party. And Zoe awkwardly approaches Jessica and tries to make so- small talk. And Jessica immediately comes right out and tells her that she overheard her and her mom. Um, and they fight back and forth. She tries to convince her that nothing happened. But Jessica says get out of my house and stay away from my fiance. Zoe taken aback steps back, knocks over a candle, which then of course sets fire to the beautiful rose wall that Maggie had spent a lot of time on. And apparently costs North of $10,000 that rose wall went up in flames very, very quickly, Jen, which I think it was a little overdramatic, but I don't think it would be, I think it would go up pretty quickly because keep in mind, all of those flowers are sprayed with um, something to keep them upright and like healthy looking. So I I didn't have a hard time believing it would go pretty fast. I think there was some quick edits, but. I thought it was just CGI. Like I just assumed it was not a real fire. Um, But yeah, could be either way. It went up very quickly. Um, after the commercial, they come back to this point. Zoe and Simon tell Jessica they're because she asks, so they're not sleeping together. And Simon says that he only went over to see Zoe because he was struggling about things with his dad. And Jessica snaps and says, "If there's something going on, I'd love all our friends to hear about it." Nothing <laughs> is going on. I was just really upset about my dad. Last it's always night. about your dad. I'm, I didn't. I hate that you're hurting, Simon. But I feel like you're using your grief as an excuse to not address the fact That's that. Not fair. I needed to talk to someone. You told me to go talk to someone. I meant a therapist, not an arsonist. It's always about your dad. 
And then she kind of walks that back and explains he should be coming to her rather than going out and talking to somebody else. And again, Jen, it's like the ancillary side characters are the ones who I sympathize with, who I like, and who are the ones who are speaking truth. She also says um, something important, which is um, that he's using grief Mm -hmm. as an excuse, which I think is exactly what him and Zoe are doing um, with each other. They're, they have this bond, which is valid. You know, they're both going through something, but they are they using it as an excuse to justify these eye glances and these secret meetups. And I think that they are. And I think I love Jessica for calling that out for what it is, even though it's not maybe not nice to say, but it's true. We don't know what's going to happen moving forward with their relationship. Jessica and Simon will get to that here in a second, how things in here. But if they break up, Jen, I would certainly love to see a spinoff with Jessica and Autumn just being single girls about town in San Francisco. God damn it. I got, we got to stop talking because I can't keep agreeing <laughs> with you. Yeah. I know the world's going to end. Yeah, seriously. Well, let's talk about the end of this episode. Zoe, is obviously, she tells everyone she's not going to stay, though. She says it's over. All of it's over. She runs out, goes to get her coat. And as she's leaving, Max walks into the room to see if she's okay. But then she gets a call from her mom and says that Mitch fell when Paul was helping him up the stairs to bed and that they're taking him to the hospital. We see Paul... Um, getting attended to by the uh, EMTs, you know, getting ice on his um, his wrist. So something happened. We don't exactly know why or what. Zoe's trying to find like a, an Uber or Lyft or something. She says there's no cars available. They're close to um, where the Golden State Warriors play. And apparently the game just ended. So Max looks at her and promises her that he's going to get her there. They walk out the door. And then all of a sudden, the absolute worst song for this moment comes on. As Max sings the Proclaimers, I'm going to be 500 miles, which in no way, shape or form, Jen, fits the emotion of that moment. This one, I know we've talked about this a couple times, but this one to me was jarring, Jen. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. And when I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. And if I get drunk, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who gets drunk next to you. And if I grow old, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who's growing old with you. But I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walked a thousand miles to fall down at your door. And we're back. This was perfect. See, stop. I was so happy to hear this song. But you shouldn't it's, have it's, been it's happy. Exactly. It's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, I will do anything for you. And right now you got to get somewhere. I'm going to get you there. Whether it's a scooter or on my back, I will walk 500 miles to get the, if I have to, to get you to where you need to go. It, Loved it. The- Loved it. You're wrong. The content is fine. The content is on point. But if this was a musical and you're having this big emotional moment at the climax, you're not going to have a song that goes, and I would walk 500. Loved it. Loved it. Don't care if you say I'm wrong. I loved it. Okay. Well, fine. Uh, 
at the end of the song, Mac, they're trying to find a car. Max threatens a guy, threatens to beat him up um, for one of those weird scooters that you can leave at any street corner. Um, the, the guy gives up the scooter and Zoe says she's too drunk to drive it. So Max says that they can ride together and she gets on and he's behind her and, and all that stuff. But Jen, real quick, do you drive a scooter or you ride a scooter? Like normally I would say ride, but when it's like these electrically powered ones, that feels like it's an inadequate description. I think I would say steer. Okay. but yeah. Because I, I have um, literally my niece and her boyfriend were on one this weekend and she said he was steering, I was riding. Yeah, I Zoe was probably definitely riding in this case, but I guess um, Max steering, driving. Yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah, good. Um, anyway, so as they're heading off to the ho- to the hospital on a scooter, we go back inside, and Simon and Jessica are talking. They both say that they love each other, but she says she really needs to be mad at him for a while. She's going to go to bed. He should go clean up. We're back at Maggie and Mitch's house. I guess after the hospital. Max has helped bring a bed downstairs. Mitch is in a back brace and Maggie really emotionally blames herself for leaving him for the party. Um, And Zoe kind of tells her like, it's not your fault. Paul's a big, strong guy. It just happened. And Maggie admits. I'm just not ready to lose you. I'm not. You hear me? You have to stick with and there were the peter gallagher tears and there went jen (laughs) yeah uh, it's always good for a couple peter gallagher tears uh but zoe walks out of the room to give them some space and she thanks max for being there they share a really nice hug and that was the first moment where you're like oh okay she thanks him for helping and being there when she needed him and he tells her that he will always be there for her they share another couple long longing looks um, and he leaves. Then we cut to Leaf and Joan, who are back at the Square Point offices, working out their ideas on a dry erase board. Then Mo and Eddie are back at, I guess, the party, drinking some wine and getting to know each other. Simon is cleaning up from the burnt rose wall from the party. And then we come back, and I didn't see this coming necessarily, but Max is then outside, and we hear him singing a very slow reprise of I'm Gonna Be. And Zoe looks out the window and sees him under a street light. Very, you know, uh, Jersey boys there. And Jen, I don't know what it was, if it was this arrangement, Skylar kind of changing up the melody a bit and, and ad-libbing a, a, um, every once in a while or what. But this reprise really, really hit me. And it worked. I got goosebumps, teared up a little bit. But this feels and it might change in episode seven. For all we know, they might be back to the triangle thing. But this feels like a decisive turn in the love triangle narrative. Far more to me than Jessica finding out about Simon and Zoe's quasi-relationship. Well, in getting back to what you said about these two episodes fitting with each other, the last episode ended with, should I stay or should I go? And she told him to go, which which he needed to go. In this episode, he says, not out loud but should I stay or should I go and she tells him to go and he should have stayed so I think that that again there's a good pairing of these episodes because she's starting to see what's bad for her and what's good for her and that leads me to what I wanted to tell you that my epiphany was and I know you're not going to agree with me but when she was sitting there talking to her mom to Maggie and she was telling her it's not your fault 
you know, like an accident happened, I kind of all of a sudden was just like, I kind of want to give her a pass. Like for what? For all of it? She, she, she sucks and she's, she's making a lot of bad decisions, but she's going through something horrible and this is how she's dealing with it. And she's going to make a lot of mistakes. And I don't know. I just, in that moment, I really felt for her. And I was like, can you just for once believe in yourself, understand that you deserve something good and go for the good guy instead of pursuing the wrong guy? Like, it was just one of those moments where I was like, you just told your mom it wasn't her fault for all of this bad stuff happening. Now tell it to yourself and do the right thing. Yeah. So I just kind of, the first time in this entire series where I just was like, okay, Every once in a while, I'm going to give you a pass because I can't imagine going through this. Like, I just, it breaks my heart. But like I said with Simon, you can't use it to justify all your actions. Yeah. And you you said something about, like, pick the good guy. And there's nothing, like, Simon hasn't done, like, he seems like a good guy. Aside from this whole, like, flirtation with Zoe. Like, he's a good guy. It's not, like, good guy versus bad guy kind of love triangle that we see in, you know, kind of melodramatic ways. I think they're both very flawed. Sure. But there's also clearly someone better yes. for her than the other. Let me ask you this question here, Jen. And and this might be something that is just in my head for some reason. But it is interesting to me that we agreed from the very beginning that Max was the end goal of this love triangle. It is a little interesting to me and maybe a little problematic that this all-American white girl has this love triangle with, I'm assuming, a mixed-race black man and another all-American white boy. And he, the, 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 the man of color is the, the wrong choice. And all of the people of color are peripheral. And none of them are in the center of this story, which I understand this is network TV and this is how it's always is on network TV. Heaven forbid you watch a Hallmark movie and the only people of color are like the best, fr- like even rarely the best friend. Like they're the town mayor or the boss or the secretary or coworker. Um, it just it feels a little weird as we're seeing kind of the evolution of these relationships. Am I overthinking that too much? Well, I think that's a separate issue from the actual story. Totally. Um, yeah. Because in what you were saying in the beginning, when you were like, is Zoe the villain? I'm starting to wonder if Mo is the star. Like, if is he whose story it's going to wind up being? Because that's the only way that I can see your theory being valid. Not valid. That's the wrong word. That's terrible. But you have a point, but I don't think that has anything to do with the actual plot. I think that's a bigger issue overall because everything you're seeing is right. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for saying that. I, I appreciate that. And don't, and don't clip that sound bite and just like <laughs> use it against it's me. be my ringtone. Um, let me ask a question. Is Mo Giles? Um, and if you don't, if you don't understand with that reference, um, you are listening to the wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> but if we're going to go with that metaphor, I didn't always like Buffy. You know, because yeah. she was she's problematic going as well. Through all, 
she was dealing with all this turmoil, all this pressure of literally trying to save the world. And every once in a while, she was just a dick. But then every once in a while, you gave her a pass because she was 17 years old and trying to figure out the world. So it kind of works. I mean, we could really dig we deep could. on that if you want. We could. I mean, there's a history. <laughs> Max is such a Xander. <laughs> yeah, but Zoe doesn't, or Zoe, Buffy doesn't end up with Xander. So he's definitely not an angel or a spike. But either way, uh, that's a whole other metaphor, and we'll see what plays out. I don't know that that's actually the case, but I was literally thinking about that. Like maybe Max is next, her next door neighbor for a reason. And like maybe. He knows the reason. But either way, that plays into my conspiracy theory. But we will get off that, Jen. So those are episodes five and six. I'm I'm encouraged by the way this is progressing. It is much more of a interpersonal drama than I anticipated. I don't know that it always works perfectly with the music that they choose, but I feel more comfortable with how the show is progressing after these two episodes than I did before. I um I think it's a good halfway point because there's been a lot of table setting and now we're going to start to see as we got to know all these characters, if they know what to do with them or if they're going to keep them flat or if they're going to grow them or if they're going to make them more human, you know, it, we'll just have to see what happens. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. All right, Jen, our list of Palooza for this week is going to be a little different. This week sucked um, in a lot, a lot of ways. So we wanted to do something about the things that just, you know, with a little bit of a hat tip towards PCH8 Pop Culture Happy Hour, things that are making us smile right now because we know the world needs it. So, um, Jen, I know this is one that I think you're going to share my sentiment with. The other night I was driving and I wanted to play something that was, you know, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I didn't have any podcasts that I was dying to listen to. So I put on some music. I was like, what album am I going to put on? And I don't keep a ton of music on my phone, but one that will always be there is the cast album for The Prom. I have talked on Broadway Radio before about how much I love this show. It was one of my favorite things that I saw in uh, 2019, I guess, is when I saw it. Um, I love it. The music is so fun. It's surprisingly lovely and well-written. It doesn't... A lot of people thought it wasn't very well-written. I after many many listens actually since the first time i saw it like i begged to differ i think it's incredibly well written it's very specific but it's just a really like it's very good at communicating the emotions of the characters i will never not get choked up by multiple things um but the the cast album for the prom just brings me a ton a ton of joy 100 percent agreed it can change your mood in an instant and no more a really good one. So Jen, what is your number five on our list of Palooza of things that make us smile? Number five is um, there's a lot of TV out there, but before bed, we've been starting to go back and watch old TV shows, which I know I've talked to you about before, Matt, and you kind of laugh at me like you would ever have time to rewatch things when you can't get to the things you want to watch that are new. So we're in the middle of rewatching two TV shows right now, and I just thought I would 
remind everyone how great they are. And one is Fargo because everything FX is now on Hulu so good. and the new season's coming out soon. So we decided to go back and watch that. And the other is Community, which was on NBC in the early 2000s. And there's some really brilliant writing and some great jokes in that show. Was it really and, um, the early 2000s? Was yeah no I mean the um of this decade oh the twenty tens twenty tens yeah 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 I was like Sorry. wait wow okay um but it's uh it's great writing really really fun performances and you kind of get to see the birth of all that is yeah. Donald Glover well and Allison Brie and and yeah, Gillian it's, it's Jacobs a ground. yeah and Ken Jeong is on it Chevy Chase is on the first few seasons um lots of really good people there. Also, it's always fun to go back and watch shows from 10 years ago and see people before they made it big. Like Taryn Killam was in an episode the other night. Um, So that's always fun. Yeah. uh, Seeing early childish Gambino is always good. Um, Real quick question, Jen. I only watched the first episode of season three of Fargo, not because it wasn't good. I just one of those things where it fell through the cracks. Is season three worth watching before? Now, I know that it's not going to connect to season four at all, but is it worth catching up on um i believe so for me the third season was my least favorite but still better than most seasons of television yeah you and i've talked a lot about season one and two in the past um and we both love it so all right jen um mine is all my number four is also a tv show something that i am sure you watch as religiously as i do it is the, the one show that i don't miss it is general hospital Comes on at two o'clock every Monday through Friday. This is when I take my lunch break and pull pull off my headphones from editing uh, podcasts and go sit in my chair and eat lunch and watch General Hospital. I know it's a soap opera. I know it's silly that uh, a man in his late ish thirties makes General Hospital appointment television, but it just makes me happy. Um, I have a lot of respect for soap actors. Um, if I was an actor. I would love to be on a soap opera um, because it's consistent work. It's interesting. You're always getting to do different things. Um, But I just I've been watching ABC soap operas when there were more than one for literally, I mean, 25, 26 years. Um, And I've obviously gone on and off um, with them. But watching General Hospital every day is always something, even when the storylines aren't things that I super care about, um, brings me a lot of joy. And I know that's silly, but we're talking about a crappy world situation right now when so much is going wrong. Um, I have no shame in admitting that general hospital is something that brings me a lot of joy. I just did an actual spit take. <laughs> you, you knew that I loved general no, hospital I, because you said, um, I don't, I don't know how you phrased it, but Jen, you know what I'm talking about? Like a show I never miss. And I was about <laughs> to say Brooklyn, Brooklyn Nine Nine, and I took a sip of water, and you said General Hospital, and I I, I dribbled <laughs> out of my mouth, and and not because I'm making fun of you, but because I understand the addiction, and I used to love General Hospital, but also because you just made me laugh, and that was the whole goal. Yes, so. that's good, <laughs> making people smile. So, Jen, what's your number four? Um, I'm a an old curmudgeon. And so I try to stay off the YouTube as much as well. I refuse to acknowledge the people are YouTube stars. <laughs> However, I have discovered two YouTube shows that kind of make me chuckle. And I just, I don't watch them religiously, but every once in a while I catch them and they're really amusing. One is hot ones. 
And that's literally just this dude interviewing celebrities as they eat progressively hotter wings. Oh, yeah, yeah. I highly recommend the Paul Rudd and the Will Ferrell episodes. And the other is Hiking with Kevin, which is just Kevin Nealon taking people on hikes and just chatting. And it's just so enjoyable. I love that. And recommend the one with Lin-Manuel Miranda walking around. Natch. um, (laughs) The the upper side, upper, upper Manhattan. Very cool. This is not one of my things, but it kind of relates to yours. I'm way too old for TikTok, but I've started like just watching things on TikTok, and that's a lot of fun too. Um, I there's a lot of like former so you think you can dance people on there that are really good and really fun, um, and that's basically that. And some Broadway people are the only people that I really follow, but I do enjoy that. Um, my number three is something that actually just started on Friday, Thursday, as everybody listening to this probably knows. Broadway went dark. Um, And there's not going to be Broadway stuff for a month. So my colleague, Alan Henry, came up with this idea to do what Broadway World is calling living room concerts. We are having Broadway stars perform little minute, two minute, three minute songs from their living room because everybody's social distancing. And the first one came out on Friday. And it's very appropriate that this was the first one. And I'm talking about it on this episode because it came from Jagged Little Pill star Catherine Gallagher the daughter of Peter Gallagher. Um, and she does an acoustic version version of You Learn. And it's lovely. I'm a huge Catherine Gallagher fan. She was in the, the revival of Spring Awakening, the Deaf West Spring Awakening. She's in this. She is one of the probably the three high points of Jagged Little Pill. Um, might be my favorite thing in that show. She's wonderful this uh, version of that song is fantastic. She's got an incredible voice. She puts out her own music as well, so you can look her up if you want. Uh, Catherine Gallagher singing an acoustic version of You Learn is really, really wonderful. I recommend getting your heart trampled on the Yeah. I recommend walking around naked in your living room. Jen, what about you? What's your number three? I had no idea that was Peter Gallagher's daughter. We just tie it in. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, but I'm going to kind of tie this in a little bit to yours. And hold on, I hold, would on like... hold on, hold on. You, maybe sure, you know who Catherine Gallagher is? Yes. Okay, and you didn't realize by her eyebrows that she was Peter Gallagher's daughter? I've never seen her. Oh, I've only heard seen... her. If you look at it, if you look at her eyebrows, you're like, oh, those are Peter Gallagher's eyebrows. That's... Well, yeah, now I'm going to look her yeah. up. <laughs> but she is, a, she's remarkable. She's very, very good. But anyway, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, I'm going to tie this in a little bit to the Broadway community as well, and I'm going to recommend Laura Benanti's Twitter feed. Um, God, she's a wonderful just, human. I love Laura Benanti so on, much. On any any day, she's wonderful. But today, what she did was she tweeted out that she was heartbroken thinking about all of the high schools whose mm-hmm. musicals had to be canceled. So in high school, I mean, at least in my school, we did one musical a year, and it was in the spring. And we practiced all the time, practice, we rehearsed all the time, and then we performed it and it was done. 
And all of these schools now are canceling musicals, and that's it. Because once the rights expire, you you can't just go and do it again. So well, and, and people are going to graduate and stuff by the time yeah. it's back. Yeah. So if you're a senior and you've waited your whole career in high school to get this lead and you get it, and then the week before the performance, they cancel it, I mean, heartbreaking. So what Laura did is she goes on Twitter today and say, this is horrible. Sing it to me. I want to see it. And all these people in that thread are posting videos of them singing what they would have performed. And it's just a really good pick me up. And it really made me smile today. Yeah, it's a hashtag sunshine songs. Um, so if you want to check them out, uh, I love Laura Benanti. I tweeted about this. She is always just such a, a voice of empathy um, and 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 warmness. She's very funny, very sarcastic as well. But every time I've spoken to her, which has fortunately been you know three or four times uh, in my career now, she's just a lovely human and another one of those people that's up on the top of my list up there with Anna, uh, Anna Kendrick. But that's for another podcast. Um, my number two, Jen, you might want to mute this part. Um, wait, wait, I just Googled Catherine Gallagher and, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely Peter Gallagher's daughter. <laughs> Thank you. I, I felt kind of bad about mentioning the eyebrows thing, but it's like, how can you not at this point? Oh, there's no question. I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Um, but you might want to mute this part. I may come back in 30 or 45 seconds because despite if you say Vanessa Hudgens, I swear to God, no, 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 no. This is a TV show, which is probably worse than Vanessa Hudgens for you. Don't you dare say the mouse singer. I will punch you in the virtual face. Um, I was going to say the mass singer. Um, I know you hate it. I just, I love this show so much. It is the dumbest thing. Now it did bother me that Sarah freaking Valen was on the last episode singing baby got back. Um, I refuse to watch her. So think about the sentence. That you I just know. Said. I know. It's just absurd, but I, I love the show. It is the dumbest thing in the world. But like Lil Wayne was on, Drew Carey, Shaka Khan, Tony Hawk, Dionne Warwick, Tom Bergeron. They were all eliminated this season already. I mean, it's just what I mean. Wayne Brady, Hamilton alum, won season two. Uh, it's just uh, it's just I love the show. It's goofy. It's stupid. It's fun. I I enjoy it. Clearly, many Americans uh, enjoy it as well. But it's. It's it's what I need to watch because it's just unbelievably stupid, and I love that. All right, move on so we can get out of that because I know you hate it. What's number two on your list? Um, I, in keeping with the rewatch thing, I like to go back and watch um, old movies. So this isn't like a classic old, but I guess it's getting to that point because it's in the 80s. Um, but the other night we watched Romancing the Stone. Have you ever seen that? No, but I'm familiar with it. Well, it's a good throwback to the 80s, and it's just peak Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. Um, it's a really fun, silly action adventure in South America, um, kind of like a heist. But um, it's just like you were saying, but worse. Um, <laughs> it's a really good action adventure, like I said, and... Uh, really like a nice glimpse into the time period with the styles and the fashion, which I always enjoy the hairstyles and everything. Um, it's just, if you find it on cable or if it's, you know, rentable, it's just brainless. You know, it, it makes me smile. And I always think of, there's a scene where Michael Douglas comes out in tight white pants. And I always remember my mother saying, 
look at his buns in those pants. And I was mortified. Oh, my God. So I can't not watch that scene and think of her say that. I just took a drink of water. And when you said that, I almost did a spit take as well. So look at, us. Look at that look at us. synergy across the country. Uh, all right, Jen, my number one is an episode of my favorite podcast, Reply All from Gimlet. Now, I was shocked when earlier today you said you never heard of this podcast. It originally started as a WNYC podcast called TLDR. Then when Gimlet Media, you've heard of Gimlet though, right? Yes, it's a network, right? Yeah, podcasting network. They did a sitcom about basically the founding of it called Alex Inc. with Zach Braff and, um, well, what was her name on The Good Place? The the real Eleanor Shell Straub, who actually turned out to be a demon. Anyway, she played his wife on it. Um, but this is like, other than Startup, which led to that TV show, this is their signature uh, nonfiction podcast and it's a story it's a podcast about the internet very very roughly but they do all these crazy interesting stories and they've got all these interesting segments and, and i love this show it's hosted by pj vote and alex goldman and um the episode that most recently came out i guess that would have been on the 5th of march is called the case of the missing hit and what it was is a man who's a filmmaker in los angeles he called and got in touch with them, and PJ was going to help him in what they call a super tech support case. He was singing the song for his wife in the car, and she'd never heard it, and it shocked him because like this was a huge song when he was a kid, and they're the same age. Um, and it has these weird, crazy lyrics, kind of like a, a a knockoff bare naked ladies song with those, you know, rapid fire patter lyrics. Um, and they're kind of they're funny. They're just nonsensical. So while they were driving home, she was driving. He Googles this song and he cannot find anything about this song at all. Cannot find it on Google at all. He spends days like trying to find this song online and he can barely find any. He finds like one other reference to it online. And so he calls PJ and he helps him. He, he's going to try to help him find it. And it's such an adventure. Um, it involves them like recording it like in a studio with a band from this guy's memory. It involves him talking to record producers, to station managers, to talking to like Billboard and Rolling Stone journalists to try to find it. He actually talks to the lead singer of bare naked ladies because he figures if someone had a song similar to a bare naked ladies song he would probably know it it's such an adventure on him trying to find this song and what it is that apparently disappeared from the internet this guy would have heard it in like the mid to late 90s so right as the internet was burgeoning but how does a song that was such a big hit as this kind of disappear um and if you listen to reply all and some of the super tech support sometimes they don't get satisfying answers um so i'm not going to say whether they do or not um but so just know if you're unfamiliar with reply all they don't always get to the bottom of it because with the internet sometimes there is no answer but it was literally one of the best things i've ever heard there's been if you search it online or on like twitter there are a lot of people saying this might be the best episode of a podcast ever it is wonderful it is interesting it is fun this was an, a wonderful wonderful listen it's the case of the missing hit episode number 158 from reply all can you at least say what the song is or you don't want to say anything it's not a song you've ever heard of i would just tell you that i mean i don't want to say nobody had heard it before but everybody they talked to was like yeah i got nothing 
it, and he has like this unbelievable, like he remembers everything about this song. Um, and so they're able to play it, but like they're able to recreate it in the studio with a real band. And it sounds, I mean, it's, it, it I mean, it sounds like a real song, um, but no one's ever heard it before. So I, I highly, highly recommend this episode. It is enthralling. <laughs> like it is beyond interesting. Like as a professional podcaster now, like, this is the type of stuff that if I was talented and interesting and thoughtful enough to make, I would make something like this if I could. Well, I will definitely check it out. Yeah, it's very fun. So, all right, Jen, what is your number one thing making you smile during this incredibly bleak time period while everything is literally going to hell in a handbasket? I don't know if I can top yours, but I'm going to end with a podcast too, which is funny that we're podcasters and we're recommending other podcasters, but... I'm going to recommend Mobituaries with Moroka. Have you heard of it? I mean, I know Moroka, but I don't. I've never heard of this podcast. No, I, I, I can. I never know if it's Rock or Roka. Oh, yeah. Um. Anyway, you might know him from CBS Sunday Mornings. Um. You'll definitely recognize his voice oh, if yeah. you ever. I've he was on the Daily don't, Show wait, wait, early on. Yeah. He, yeah. You know. Yeah. But anyway, he does this podcast about researching um the life and the death of people that you just never know what happened to. So it sounds pretty morbid that I would say, oh, this makes me happy, but it's actually really uplifting. And he tells these, these untold stories of people that you just, um, and it's not always people. Sometimes it's a thing. He does a whole thing about a tree. Um, that it's called the death of a tree roots of a rivalry. And it's a, it, the whole podcast is about this tree on the Auburn university campus. Um, with, Oh, I'm familiar. Was, I'm familiar with that tree. Yeah. I'm sure you, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but he does this whole deep dive into it. He does one on Billy Carter, um, Jimmy Carter's brother. Mm-hmm. He does one on Thomas Paine. I've been reading common mm-hmm. sense. Thomas Thomas Paine. Paine. Yeah, very good. Nice. Um, he does one on Laura Branigan, which was one of my favorite, um, after the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup last year, their inspiration was the song oh, Gloria by yeah, Laura Branigan. Yeah. And he really dove into that to find out about her life and her, her all too early death. So um, the one of the most recent ones was Lawrence Welk, in which he oh, wow. um, he collaborates with Fred Armisen, who was like this huge Lawrence Welk buff, which is funny because he played him on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. So it's just really interesting, and he does a he does a great deep dive and tells the story. He starts with the death and then goes back and tells the story leading up to it. So it's just a really interesting listen for those who like history. That's awesome. I love Mo Rocca from, like you said, CBS Sunday Morning. But um, wait, wait, don't tell me. Like I remember him from the like Steve Carell, um, Stephen Colbert early days of. of uh, of the daily show he's wonderful and so smart so i'm gonna have to check that one out as well so there we go look we had some broadway stuff tied in together some some podcast stuff together i feel like we after five six years jen we are hitting our stride as a podcast duo oh good we'll be making money in no time oh about that anyway that is all that we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Some Like It Pop, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist Edition. Again, we were coming to you after every even-numbered episode, so um, I don't think that there's any interruption in that, so that means that the next episode will drop on the 29th of March, if that schedule changes as everything is changing um we will obviously let you know on broadway radio remember if you are listening to this into the patreon feed thank you so much for being a patron of broadway radio if 
as I think we're going to, we drop this into the regular feed and you're hearing it there. Please join us over on Patreon. We are ramping up our content. We thought we were ramping up the content on the Patreon to get ready for the award season. Oops, there is no award season. So, but join us over there anyway. We can't keep Broadway Radio going without you. So we really appreciate that. Let us know what you thought about episodes five and six of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Also, let us know what you thought about what we thought about episodes five and six of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. You can reach out on Twitter at Broadway Radio, at Eponine Q for Jen, and at BWW Matt for me. We'll talk again in two weeks. Thanks so much for going on this journey. And uh, wash your hands, damn it. 